On today's episode of the podcast, Season 2, Episode 7, I'm joined by Episcopal priest Father Steve Leahy to talk about politics and religion. Are we living in unprecedented times? What does history have to say about that? And unprecedented or not, what can we do to get through this next month before our election? In between, I'll read a little bit of Maine Yuma in my accent, and Father Steve will read the worst poem ever composed in the English language. It's the Steve Greaves Podcast with Father Steve Leahy. Okay, good good day and welcome to um, episode seven of the Steve Greaves Podcast. I'm here today with uh, Father Steve Leahy from Lincoln, Nebraska. He's a priest and a historical theologian, professor at University of Nebraska. Hello, Steve. How are you today? I'm fine, Steve. How are you? I am doing well. This is my very first in-person podcast. It's nice to see you and to be, you know, in the same room as the person I'm talking to. Okay. Yeah, except that on public radio, there's a wall between well, like, is that, Terry Gross and whoever she's talking to. Is that right? Uh, that, that's what I've seen. I, I didn't know that. Yeah. This is a, a this is just an audio podcast right now, so we can people's imaginations can let them can um. Why don't, why don't you just lead them around your office that we're in here, Steve? Like. Well, <laughs> there are books in here, many, many books. I have uh, my great-great-grandfather's 1864 Springfield that he got for serving in the Civil War. Mm -hmm. I have a painting by my grandmother yes. that she calls London Bridge, but looks nothing like London Bridge. That looks like a... That's a fake diving helmet that I have a, a light bulb in so that it looks faintly ghostly at night. Yes. And I have uh, all my pictures from Prague and the skulls. I see a few skulls. Yeah. Thea got that for me for Halloween one year. And she just loves that. I keep it up. Oh, okay. And uh, I mean, this one... skull I got after I had a stroke for my daughter's science project. We put the thing together and di and diagrammed in the brain that's inside the skull where there was the vessel break and everything. Oh, okay. Um, she didn't win the prize. Oh. And that disappointed me because I went through a lot to <laughs> yeah, yeah. get probably the uh, baking soda volcano might have won that. <laughs> that should have, that should have, yeah. <laughs> and then I have all of these buildings that I've yeah. been to. Karlstein, this is a castle and just outside of Prague that I've been to a bunch of times. I really like that. Yeah, Bruges City Hall, so on. Yeah, it looks like it looks like a college professor's office. I have to say, if we had to, you know, make a movie about this, uh, lots of books. Okay, great. So we're going to be like a month away from our presidential election here during our conversation, and um, if we're reading the paper and looking at the internet or keeping up with the news, we hear quite frequently how we're in this unprecedented time, perhaps uh, being an election year and the COVID-19 together um, have caused a inordinate amount of stress for people, stress and anxiety. We've had issues. I mean, I'm 50 years old. I've lived through 9-11. You know, I've lived through, we, I mean, the Iraq war happened someplace else. I grew up, it was the Vietnam War. My father was in between Vietnam and Korea. Um, so war and conflict aren't very new. Uh, we've also lived in you know, economic anxiety in the 1970s and the 1980s, but it seems to be a confluence of events, or perhaps we just are more plugged into them these days. So I'd like you first, uh, as your role as historian, to maybe reassure us or put this in, in a little bit of context 
are these unprecedented, unprecedented times that we're living in today? Absolutely not. No, we're just, as you said, second, we're just more plugged into it. If everybody had the kind of social uh, media that we have now during, say, 1973, people would have been going crazy. Because at, the, at that time, I was just reading about this last night, Nixon was refusing to give up the tapes. And then when he gave up the tapes, there was this 18-minute gap and there was no attempt at an explanation for it. And uh, everybody was saying this is a constitutional crisis, the like of which we've never seen. Um, but there was no social media for people to bicker on and on and have, right. and, and there was no, there, there were actual rules about what you could say on television right, right. and on, on the radio. And for somebody to say uh, that Nixon was a crook, that was not allowed. Right. So when Nixon actually came out and said, well, I'm not a crook, um, people were really uncomfortable. They're like, mm. well, what a relief. <laughs> right, right. Um, and that was just 1973. Right. We have a problem today saying lying. We can't use lying. We have, um, or media chooses not to when they talk about our president. They use the stretch the truth or presents misinformation, but they rarely use the L word. Right. Um, so there's still a little bit of that bleeding in our in our media that we expect some normalcy out of people who are who have displayed that they don't act normally or you know within the rules. But we're still kind of waiting for this um, to be imposed on our on our society, and it's not and it's not coming. Well, this is all post Watergate, before Watergate. The word lie was used and people were terrified of it. Mm. But ever since Watergate, uh, our generations have become increasingly cynical about what they can expect from the government and uh, how much they can trust the government. Right. Um, this is not the first time that's happened. The during the uh, Before the Civil War and just after the Civil War, the United States government was in just as bad shape. It was just as untrustworthy. And the only people who really benefited benefited from um, the governmental policies, at least until 1910, were, were the wealthy. Yeah, the Gilded Age was a time when people of our class were working 12-hour days, six, seven days per week, and there were no laws protecting us. And it was normal to die at the age of 60, mm. of old age. Mm. Um, so there have been significant times of much greater, much greater, uh, uh, public human suffering. Right. And of course, if you're an African-American, um, those times have been basically since 1619. Right. Right. <laughs> until, well, it seems to be ongoing. Indeed. Yeah, and I, and part of the point here is I don't want to diminish anyone's experience and say, oh, get over it. Oh, it's not that bad. Oh, we've always had these problems. But uh, there seems to be almost borderline hysteria happening. Uh, and I know our media sort of, our media elevates stories. And our now our social media further elevates that story. So we have like a little pyramid effect. We already have the sea of information. CNN picks up something and then you go on Facebook and copy that article from CNN. So we just, we keep amplifying these bad stories and it seems like everything's, you know, coming apart. Um, but, um, you know, again, I'm not, I'm not 70 years old, but I'm old enough to be, 
this is my fourth most important election of my lifetime. I hate that rhetoric. I'm getting a little tired of it myself. Yeah. I've been hearing that since 1968. Yeah. This yeah. is the most important. And the 68 election was very bitterly contested. Right. And of course, the 1960 election was very bitterly contested. I was... Uh, not born <laughs> right <laughs> i was born right after the 1960 election and apparently they jack kennedy's father and richard nixon had a meeting mm. right after the election when it, when it was still too close to call and uh it was clear that joseph kennedy had bought votes in chicago mm. and nixon said i'm not going to pull the plug on this if there's and there was a quid pro quo of some kind i don't know why. yeah yeah um and so i mean th there has been crookedness in the electoral ele the electoral process stretching all the way back um right, right. i mean the famous one is uh blaine blaine and hayes uh in the 1880s hayes is number 19 right after uh, ulysses s grant mm -hmm. and hayes was a democrat Blaine was the Republican. He won the popular vote. The Democrat won the electoral vote. And it came down to the same deal as Trump versus uh, Clinton hmm. in 2016. Yeah. Same thing. And um, now nobody remembers Blaine. But right. uh, Blaine was considered to be the heir apparent to Lincoln and Grant. Not mentioning Johnson, because he, of course, was a Democrat. Sure, sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, we're, and we, I mean, even if you're 20 years old, you were born 2000, we had a contested election and a Supreme court um, ruling inserting itself and stopping the counting in Florida and the hanging chads. And right. I mean, that's not 400 years ago. That's 20 years ago. And, if, uh, and speaking of the more distant past, yeah. I study the middle ages when it was normal to live under a tyrant of some kind. Sure. It wasn't, surprising i mean you you come up with really good kings like henri the fourth in france or uh, i guess henry the second in england but i mean there haven't been that many really good kings there have been really mean kings imagine being a serf living or a common person living in the game of thrones mm. that was the norm right for centuries and if you want to go even farther back, at least in the West, into the Roman period, the Roman Republic was crumbling from, well, the time of the, well, even before the revolt of the Gracchi, um, on into the Civil War a hundred years later. It was not a good time to be living in civilization. Right, right. It, it's right. All, it has been that way for, we have had a lovely 60-year period. From the end of nineteen, uh, from the end of, this, of World War II until now, we've had a wonderful period. Why? Because we won that war. Yeah, right. Right. <laughs> uh, that was the that that's the fruit of winning a war is that you get to have a better life than most other people on the planet. Yeah, we managed to extend that thanks to our mastery of technology and uh, a good living a good uh, way of living for uh, the middle class which was growing and growing well that stopped yeah and we're now going coming back to normal and people are really upset well yeah 
Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think I said on a previous show with someone, I can't remember the context, but, you know, say our country is 250 years old, 245 years old. We're, we're basically teenagers, or if not infants, in the history of civilization. The whole American experiment and the democratic principles and everything is a relatively young. And, and you know, we, we haven't lived in anything else. So we, we think that this is normal and this will continue forever and uh, continue unabated and only grow and other countries will become more democratic. And some have. Um, but this isn't this is a basically a new idea still if you look at the grand picture of all these things it is a new idea and it was regarded as progress when it was instituted but surely we've come to see that the whole concept of progress lies in the eye of the beholder indeed um and uh, it's pretty clear the past four years have shown us that we're not moving forward anymore (laughs) right and if you actually look at history we really haven't been moving all that far forward since we crapped out in Korea. Yeah. Um, And we decided, well, we're just going to walk away from that one, thus setting a precedent for Vietnam and for all of the other things that we've been involved in. Indeed. Um, The only time we supposedly won was when we were fighting Iraq. Yes. And we didn't. We didn't. And I mean, we haven't won in Afghanistan. I think that's still ongoing, um, uh-huh. technically. We're, we're just um, leaving the yeah. same way we did all these other right, countries. Right, right. Yeah. And I think I think what you said, though, but progress is in the eye of the beholder. Because, again, we can we can be a little negative about media and social media. But we're, we're the good the good point is, is we're hearing we're giving an it gives us an opportunity to hear some voices that were heretofore silenced. You know, we're hearing more from the African American community. We're hearing more from women and um, other sort of disenfranchised groups. So it gives an opportunity, but it's so hard to sift through all this information because we have information and elevated information and these other voices in the same sort of playing field um, as the doubly amplified let's call them white voices or, or, you know, mainstream voices. And it's just so much to, to sort of, to sort of sift through it, take reading the news and understanding what's happening um, and finding the truth in it takes so much effort. Now it's exhausting. It's, it's tremendously exhausting. And I think that it's one of the reasons why we all feel so bad is because the kind of, the fire hose of information that we're putting our face in front of to try and get a drink, it's we're not being satisfied even remotely. What right. we're doing is being assaulted. <laughs> right. And what we need to do is we need to learn as individual citizens how to regulate and how to what what to listen to and what not to listen to. Right. Right. And um, getting some kind of a lie detector built into our our minds doesn't mean becoming a cynic. I read yesterday some guy who said, oh, don't fool yourself. All politicians are in the pocket of somebody or other. Uh, it's not just him. It The other guy and the other guy and the other guy, every single one of them have been in the pocket of somebody. So you can't trust any of them. Right. A cynic right. is someone who knows the price of everything and the value of nothing. Right. It, it, that's not the answer to be to, uh, to, dealing with this massive barrage of information to be a cynic and say, well, none of it counts. Diogenes of Sinope, one of my favorite characters of all time, lived in a barrel by the side of the road. And when the emperor came up to, I think it was Alexander the Great, came up to Diogenes and said, Diogenes, 
you are so smart. If only you could elevate yourself from this filth, you would really get somewhere. And Diogenes, in response, said, oh, your emperorness, you're so smart. If only you could become comfortable with all this filth, you could really get somewhere. <laughs> so the reason I brought up the cynics is because Diogenes is sitting there living in his uh, living in his uh, barrel or bathtub <laughs> and uh, drinking water out of his only possession, which was a wooden bowl, until he saw a dog lapping water out of a puddle and he realized, I don't even need this bowl. And so he tossed that away. <laughs> Um, if you're going to be a cynic, be prepared to be a real cynic. And our attachment to all these possessions that we have, that means that we're not really cynics. Right, 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 right. Yeah, I'm, I'm, at, a, I'm at a stage. I'm at a stage because, I mean, exactly what I said before. It's like we have some voices that are only heard on social media because they're out of the mainstream but they get sort of clouded. So if there was a way we could sort of filter out or elevate the, you know, we're, I, I'm, I'm, I like reading sort of media criticism. I, I mean, that's a thing I enjoy. Um, that's just an example of, yeah, of, of yeah. there's a whole new field of um, media criticism in academia where they're trying to figure out what is the, all of this doing to us? Right. And, um, I mean, the last time this really happened was with radio, because before radio, it was a quiet world. Yeah. But then suddenly with radio, you hear, luckily it was mostly music. Um, and then they came up with shows and everybody knew Jack Benny and everybody knew Fur McGee and Molly. Um, but it wasn't exactly a fire hose of information, although in those days it was considered mm. to be a fire hose of information because ordinarily the only news you got was from a paper that was either a daily if you lived in town or a weekly if you lived outside of town and people read those things all of them all the whole newspaper yeah, yeah. because they had the time to do so um or well when they weren't working sure um <laughs> but then i mean consider even before that why did the Protestant Reformation happen? Because of the printing press. Indeed. Um, so we are in the midst of a social change, the like of which we will not see the end of. Um, and it is going to be as radical a change to our understanding of our place in the world as the Reformation was. Right. So, I'm, I mean, I don't believe that our president says that the press is like the quote unquote enemy of the people, but there is sort of about a bit there. There is a lot of tiltillation involved in the news or, or um, I remember I, I went to school at university of Colorado during the whole Jean Benet Ramsey thing. Mm -hmm. There are countless numbers of missing children in this country currently of all colors of all stripes. Why is this national news? You know, you don't want to, you don't want to say, uh, you know, you don't want to diminish people's pain and diminish, diminish. It was an interesting story because there are, you know, lies involved and parents involved. But why when Elizabeth Smart was kidnapped in Utah, 
that's what I used to call a local news story. Why was this story elevated and other stories not elevated? Well, the simple reason is there's a little totalation involved. Absolutely. There's Thank a ray, yeah. Right. There's right. a little like there's a little something that's out of the ordinary. But you walk into your Walmart in Lincoln, Nebraska, and you see a wall full of people who are missing that you will not ever hear about because they went to school or they went to a Walmart or they went to a store and they disappeared. Right. And there's no uncle involved or parents involved or a cult involved or something else. One Native American woman out of 10 will have that happen to her. Right. Yet, have we heard anything about this? No. Not a bit. No. No, absolutely not. So, you know, again, I don't, I don't want to draw the line. I don't want to, you know, fire up that rhetoric that they can't ever be trusted, but they can't always be trusted. <laughs> they can't always be trusted. All right. Good. That's a nice part one, a nice place to stop. I have a book in my hand here, Bert and I, the book, which are classic Bert and I. It's Maine Yuma. It's from Island Port Press in Yarmouth, Maine. And people like the accent. So I'm going to read one for you here. It's a little palate cleanser called Kinda Poorly. <clears throat> I'm going to get my accent on. Here we go. Fred Sawyer died back in 37. They had to dig him up last year to make way for the state turnpike. There's a law that says that some member of the family has got to be there when they lift him out. So so Fred's two sons, Paul and Sam, drew lots to see which one would go. Paul won, and when he come back that night, Sam asked him, you helped them with the digging? Yup. Was it hard work? Sure was. Loam or sand? Neither. Clay. How was the box? Not much left. You look in? Yup. How was he? Kinda poorly. <laughs> Yes, see? <laughs> Next one here is called Which Way to East Vassalboro? My aunt has a summer cottage up on the crossroads at East Vassalboro, Maine. One day last summer, I was out on the porch rocking and reading the newspaper when I heard a foreign sports car come up the road toward us and go right on through the west intersection. Screech! Screech! He jammed his brakes on down to Barron's, turned around and come right up, and on, up, come right on up again. He turned around way down to the blueberry factory and came straight on up. This time he stopped right out front. Which way to East Vassalvora? Don't you move a goddamn inch. This is called life insurance. How is this man related to you? My father. And he was covered under this policy? Uh, yep. And how did the accident occur? Fell off the barn roof. How far did he fall? Forty feet. How did he die? Broken neck. Thank you very much for your cooperation in what must be trying circumstances. Any remarks? He didn't make none. I'd like to read you the worst poem ever written in the English language. It is by William Topaz McGonagall. It is called The Taybridge Disaster. The story of the disaster is in the poem. The River Tay is in Scotland, and it's meant to be read in a Scottish dialect. Beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. Alas, I am very sorry to say that 90 lives have been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. It was about seven o'clock at night, and the wind it blew with all its mate, and the rain came pouring down, 
and a dark cloud seemed to frown, and the demon of the air seemed to say, I'll blow down the bridge of Tay. When the train left Edinburgh, the passengers' hearts were light and felt no sorrow, but Boreas blew a terrific gale which made their hearts for to quail, and many of the passengers with fear did say, I hope God will send us safe across the bridge of Tay. But when the train came near to warm at bay, Boreas, he did loud and angry bray, and shook the central garrows of the bridge of Tay on that last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. So the train sped on with all its mate, and Bonnie Dundee soon hove into sight, and the passengers' hearts all felt light, thinking that they would enjoy themselves on the new year, with their friends at home they loved most dear, and wished them all a happy new year. So the train moved slowly along the bridge of Tay until it was about midway. Then the central garrows with a crash gave way, and down went the train and passengers into the Tay. The storm fiended loudly bray, because the ninety lives had been taken away on the last Sabbath day of 1879 which will be remembered for a very long time. As soon as the catastrophe came to be known, the alarm from mouth to mouth was blown, and the cry rang out all over the town, Good heavens! The bridge is blown down! And a passenger train from Edinburgh, which filled all the people's hearts with sorrow, and made them for to turn pale, because none of the passengers were saved to tell the tale. How the disaster happened on the last Sabbath day of 1879, which will be remembered for a very long time. It must have been an awful sight to witness the dusky moonlight, while the storm freen did laugh and angry did bray along the railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. Oh, ill-fated bridge of the Silvery Tay, I must now conclude my lay by telling the world fearlessly, without the least dismay, that your central garrows would not have given away, at least many sensible men do say, had they been supported on each side with buttresses, at least many sensible men confesses. For the stronger we do our houses build, the less chance we have of being killed. <laughs> thank you. You're welcome. That's, thank you. Thank you. <laughs> All right. So we had a little Yuma here. <laughs> um, and I, I want to talk to you, like in, in your in your role as a priest. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, they said the word on TV the other night, so the world's a shit show. Okay. Yep. How how are we gonna get through? How how are we gonna you know sustain ourselves and our sanity in this in this world? What what can, what can we do? As they say, you know, there are no atheists in foxholes, <laughs> and I can imagine people are are sort of turning to religion or turning. Perhaps I'm I'm wrong about this, but I I can imagine that they're um, turning towards some sort of faith or religion or spirituality in this time. But 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 what can we do here, Father Steve? First thing that we can do is recognize that there is one fundamental reality that most all religions share, and that is that the world is a bad place. Now, nature is a wonderful thing. It is made by God, but human society tends towards falling apart, and it has always tended towards falling apart, and the result is individual human suffering always. Hmm. And so 
what we must do when we face this suffering is recognize that we are not built to suffer. That's not why we were put onto, the, onto this earth. Job asked, why have you put me on this earth simply so that everything that I have would be taken away? Do I exist to be a laughingstock to you? And the response that God has is, no, you do not exist to be a laughingstock to me. And when you become a god, we can talk about why you exist. But then the Christian response is, you exist because I love you. And in Christianity, the Savior gave himself for us. We are to do the same. We are not to sit back, revel, and relax in the fact that we are saved by the Savior's precious gift of his life. No, we are to follow his example. And in following his example, what we are to do is to give of ourselves to others without expecting anything in return. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And it's as difficult as that. Indeed. Um, and so my answer to you, what are we to do in the face of all of this, this suffering, the affronts, and so on, is not to return evil for evil to return good, to return kindness for people who are rude. If we disagree with somebody, you know, we don't have to tell them. It's not, it's not necessary for our very survival that somebody with whom we disagree politically has to know how deeply our disagreement <laughs> right. runs. Right, right. I have kept my mouth shut about a lot of things because... I have serious doubts about man's capacity to rule hmm. other human beings indeed. or indeed man's self. Right. On the other hand, we do have to speak truth to power. Yeah. And when somebody is suffering, we are not allowed to walk by. Right. We have to say, no, what is happening to some of our fellow citizens is flat out wrong. Right. And we can't, we can't allow it to continue. So, I mean, there is a balance between being kind and not addressing every single mistake that you see and addressing every single mistake that you see and becoming uh, like a Puritan lawgiver. Right. There, there is a balance. We are not called to be prophets, but we are not called to keep our put our head in the sand either. Right. We are called to be followers of the Christ who teaches us to love one another. And at some times... You have to love one another at the expense of yourself. That's right. That's right. I'm doing these um, Richard Rohr meditations. Richard Rohr comes from a sort of a Catholic viewpoint, but it's um, a little more for everybody. You don't have to be Catholic to get anything out of it. Um, and it's basically the theme is interconnectedness. We're all interconnected. Mm -hmm. Everything's interconnected, um, whether directly or indirectly. And that's a that's a that's that's a that's a idea from lots of world religions we don't operate in this little bubble and um if you can you know see your neighbor as yourself and see others as if, or treat others as you want to be the basic simple truth I've, I've been working at a church my entire life and i think you know it's so simple 
yet it's so hard. It's so simple in words and it's so hard in practice. And sometimes we scratch our heads and rub our chins and say, this is so difficult. It's so difficult to do. The action part is difficult. The understanding intellectual part of it is so simple. And that, and that I think that's why it, I don't want to say it's successful or unsuccessful. That's why people struggle with it. You know, would give up what I have. You know, it's not all about gaining possessions. It's not all about me. Um, that's, it seems to be almost against our DNA, our, our survival instinct, where it tells us it's about us and keeping alive. And it's like really about our neighborhood, our neighbor and our community. Do you think since, I mean, we're, we're here, we, do you think we're wired for individualism or we're wired for community? Neither. We're wired for the tribe. Um, that is, we are wired for those who are like us. Uh, those, those who are in our tribe. That's we're pack animals. That's what we are. And so when we talk when, when we talk about loving our neighbor, we're not talking about necessarily loving people who, loving people who are in our tribe. That's why Jesus's actions towards people who are not of the 12 tribes of Israel are so important. When he talks about uh, being good to Samaritans and good to Gentiles, good to the Romans, that is where Jesus is really going out on a limb. That's where he is departing from the Torah teachings, because while the Torah teachings are, yes, be kind to the Gentile, yes, be good to the, to the people, there is still the concept of, of unclean. There, right. is, there is still the concept of outside of the tribe. And Jesus, and even more so Paul, make it clear, no, this is about all of us as a species. It's not just about those who are members of our clan. Right. right. Uh, so what we we're, it's not that we're individualists and it's not that we are wired necessarily to be communalists. We're wired to be the pack animals that every other great ape is. Uh, well, I suppose orangutans aren't, but that, that, that like the chimpanzees, we're pack animals where there's alphas and there's betas. And within that alpha and beta relationship and gamma relationship, there is comfort and there is security. But then when you have two packs running into each other, two tribes running into each other, then you have trouble. Indeed. Um, there's a guy, a Kwame Anthony Apia wrote a book called In My Father's House, which is about his attempt to understand Africa. And from the contemporary first world modern world, he goes into Africa and recognizes Africa's not one place. Africa's in a lot of different places where your identity is not a nation that was invented by a colonial power, but your identity is a tribe. And this came out before the horrible stuff in Rwanda. Hmm. Um, but this is truly what human beings are. And uh, I was just the other week uh, in the state capitol getting a tour with a friend of mine. And uh, the state senator who is a Native American from the Lakota community was talking about the differences between the different tribes within the Lakota nation. And you could identify people by virtue of the, the kind of sewing patterns that they have on their, on their, uh, their clothing, mm -hmm. the same way that you can identify uh, people in the highlands by their, uh, by their tartans um, or the people in, in all these, you identify people by their last name. Right. Right. Um, there are people who, I study the Czechs at great length. They didn't have last names until the 1840s and 50s hmm. because they didn't go anywhere. Everybody knew who hmm. you were. 
Um, and so when they had last names, the last names were usually invented. And if you know Czech, you recognize that most of these last names are just stuff like, well, he's a cook. He's a baker. That guy's asleep over there. He's got soup. <laughs> that kind of thing. That guy looks like a rabbit. I mean, and then the, the women take the last name of their father hmm. in the same way in Iceland, where the women, even after they get married, they are still known as like Brigida Oscar's daughter uh, and Jan Jansson. Um, they take these patronyms. Why? It's the holdover from the tribes. Hmm. Um, hmm. So that's what we are. Gotcha. Gotcha. So our takeaways for these next 30 days, I'd say um, try to unplug a little bit if it's possible. You know, don't consume news 20 hours a day. Uh, number two, be careful with your sources. I mean, understand where they're coming from. If they're just, you know, reaffirming what you already believe, we all like that in our news, right? The, the, the truth is what reaffirms it. But you know, be be careful with your your sources. I I basically use Facebook now to promote my podcast, and, I, and I'm, I'm I'm so much happier when I when you know I like look at pictures. I like people's sunset pictures, and people do fitness challenges. But it's like completely apolitical, um, and it's it's a tool for you know, self-promotion or podcast promotion. And, I, and I'm so much happier that it's not, you know, and I'm, you know, I'm guilty as much as anyone of getting my fingers where they don't belong sometimes. And I'm like, and, and just saying, okay, that's not what this is for, for me, um, has been very helpful. What else? What else can we do? If we're not church people, maybe go for a walk. <laughs> you know, I'm not just trying to say, you know, open ourselves to people who are not in our tribe. Step outside the bubble that we live in. It is so easy for academics to talk to other academics or for lawyers to talk to other lawyers or for truck drivers to hang out with other truck drivers. That's natural and normal. To survive this time period, we have to do what's unnatural and break the, bond, the, the, break the bonds of the tribe and talk to people who are not like us. Listen to people who are not like us. When we are trained to be priests, the first thing that they do is they put you through a process that lasts roughly three years, where you have to go to committee after committee after committee and talk about your call. Mm. And initially, you're thrilled to have a room full of people sitting around listening very carefully to you talk about yourself. But after three years, you get sick of it <laughs> and you can't bear it anymore. And then in seminary, you have the chance to all sit around and everybody talk about their calls. And after two or three years of seminary, you are so tired of talking about yourself. that And that lasts for pretty much most of the rest of your life. Hmm. Um, and that's what makes clergy able to listen because they don't feel obliged to talk about themselves. Well, Father Steve, thanks so much. I think we're gonna we're gonna end it here. Um, this has been very informative. Some of our listeners might have to digest this in two parts, but that that's okay. You know, <laughs> we we covered covered a lot today, and that's good. But I appreciate you coming on and and making the time to to talk about the state of the world. Um, you know, there's a Broadway song. The world goes round. We can we can agree on that. It's going to keep spinning no matter no matter what happens in, in our in our in our life upcoming these next these next this next month. Um, we can we can um, be assured that. 
the world will continue to spin. Thank you so much, Father Steve, for a lot to think about and a little bit of laugh about. Let's take this next month, folks, to unplug a little bit, be careful with our news sources, keep the faith, treat other people as you would like to be treated, and we'll all get through this together. This is Steve Greaves signing off from the Steve Greaves Podcast.